0: Well, good morning, Doxa Church. I love this sound because I feel like it could go on just forever. <laughs> uh, but if you'd take a seat, we're going to hop into uh, the text for this morning. Um, if we've not had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Rudy Hartman. I get to be on staff here with Doxa Church. work specifically with our, our college ministry. Um, if you've got a Bible, Matthew 28 is where we're going to be hanging out in the last message of our sent series that we've been working through since Easter. But before we really get there, I want to give you a quick update. Uh, last week... We uh, talked about the nations. We sent out our salt overseas team, and uh, I just want to give you a quick update on them. Uh, they had a missions training Monday and Tuesday, and then on Wednesday uh, they flew out of the country. And this is actually a picture of them in country right now. So it's so sweet to get to see. Um, just really, really proud of those men and women. We just ask you to continue to to pray for them by the kindness of God for the people of God on the mission of God. Um, They've got a full summer (laughs) ahead of them, but they're in country, and we're just really, really, really excited. Um, And as we were dropping them off on... Wednesday, a couple of thoughts crossed my mind as I went through the airport. One, my, my wife Molly and I are walking back to our, the car and we're just both kind of sad that we're not getting on a plane. Um, that was just, just a real, real thing that we both were, were feeling. Um, but two, I, I started thinking about these times that I have just been in an airport and, and two times specifically just kind of came to mind as I was as walking out of, of the, the airport. Um, the first was when I was on my first flight, uh, to North Carolina, uh, and I was with my, my dad. And I, I just had this thought that went through my head that was like, what if, what if like little six-year-old Rudy like, tried to like, walk up to the gate by himself like, with a ticket, put it up there, get through security, get through everything on his own? I could like, barely do that now by myself. And so the fact that like, just imagining a six-year-old trying to do it, but it's just a totally different outcome of that trip because I'm, I'm with my father and my father's with me. It reminded me of another trip that I took when I was about 22. um, I was going to Dubai for a work trip, and I was with my boss, Paul, and we had to fly through Heathrow Airport in London. And Heathrow is an incredible airport, but it's big. And it's really—like, I would have had at 22 just no clue really how to navigate it. But Paul had been there probably a dozen times. So I, because I was with Paul, I kind of knew how to move throughout the, the, the airport. If I'm alone in either one of those circumstances, the result of my trip to those airports is completely different as a child and as a 22-year-old. If my dad or Paul was there and I hadn't paid attention to the people who were with me, it would have had a completely different result. And Doc said, that's because when someone is with us, it changes the way that we move. When someone's with us, it changes the way that we move. And we're, we're gonna see that right here in Matthew chapter 28 as we wrap up our SENT series this morning, as we get to the final words of the final words that Jesus shares that absolutely change the way that we move as it relates to being sent and on mission. This goes head on against one of my deep concerns about this text and us in this space, um, one of the things that I've been afraid of, and I'm just going to confess this, that I've been afraid of as we've walked through this series, is that you would approach the Great Commission much like I did for the first probably five or six years that I was following Jesus. And it's that the Great Commission is something that we do for God. For so many years, I saw it in that light. I viewed the Great Commission as if it was something that I had to do for God. In some circles, this is called the debtor's guilt. Jesus has rescued and risen. He's done everything that is necessary for us to be saved. Because he has risen from the grave, we are saved and we are now sent. Jesus Christ, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, taken our sin from us, given his right standing before God to us, has risen from the grave so that we might know that we will share an eternal life with him forever, everlasting life with him now and then because of his finished work that we have put our trust in. That, that we look at the beauty of that and we think, when it comes to the Great Commission, how do I pay you back for it? That the Great Commission be- becomes some sort of idea that I'm worth the investment of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And in a culture that is shaped by the commoditization of people, oftentimes it is tough for a debtor's guilt to not be a struggle in relation to the Great Commission. It can show up in our lives in a myriad of ways, but I think it happens on just like a general spectrum of despair to destruction. That you can hear us teach about the Great Commission and kind of shape it and integrate it into your lives and it can fall into one of these two buckets. Despair that says, I have to do this for God and I don't actually think that I can. I've tried, but I'm terrified. I've reached out and I've been rejected. I don't know enough. I'm not worth, I I, I don't have the time to. Why would God ever use me? I don't know what to do when I feel like a failure. And failure gives way to shame. So as you've talked about this, it's seeped into potentially your soul is the shame and despair of failure as it relates to the Great Commission. You look at yourself in that light, Despair or perhaps destruction you look at it and you think I have to do this for God and I actually think I can pull it off on my own I'll hustle culture my way into the Great Commission. I can well, work harder than anybody else. I'll get after it. I'll prove my worth to God. I'll make him notice me. I'll say all the right false humility things in community, but deep down, I know that I'm crushing this. My success in mission makes me feel better about myself in comparison to other people. Look at what I'm able to do. This success gives way to pride, and pride, Solomon tells us in the Proverbs comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Destruction of the self through burnout, of the family through neglect, of others as you see them more as projects than people. Despair and destruction live on the spectrum of the great, perform- great Commission when you look at it as if it is a performance for you to do for God. I perform and I fail, then I experience shame and despair. I perform and I succeed, then I experience pride and destruction. But what if, what if we're supposed to have a different understanding of the Great Commission? What if the Great Commission is far less about performance and far more about presence? Presence. What if making disciples is less about how I'm performing for God and more about what God is doing through me by being present with me? And this is precisely where Jesus ends the Great Commission. I hope that was enough time to get to Matthew chapter 28. Um, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 say, And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Doctor, when someone is with you, it changes the way that you move. And I wonder if you've ever considered how the withness of Jesus shapes the way that we move on mission. This has been one of the most personally transformative things for me as I follow Jesus, that he is with me. And Christian, he is with you. And it's so important it deserves some work to unpack what's being said here, right? Jesus says he is with us always, but a survey of the scriptures and frankly of this room leads us with the question, what does he mean by that? Like, what does Jesus mean when he says that he will be with us always? In a very real sense, it is much different than my dad or Paul with me at the airport because he's not physically with me. So how does this play out? The good news is that Jesus actually anticipated this question. Remember, I I talked about this last week, that there is no new content in these conclusionary remarks. It's not a shock for the disciples to hear this. It's no contradiction to them between Jesus ascending into heaven and leaving them and saying simultaneously, I am with you always. And that's because they remember what Jesus said in one of the longest discourses that we have recorded of his words, the Olivet Discourse, John chapter 14 through 17, where in verse 16, he says this in verse 7, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Okay, that's interesting. Jesus tells them what he's going to do. He's told them he's going to die. He tells them that he'll rise again. And now he's saying that he will leave him. Jesus has been calling his shot all the way across the gospel. And now their rabbi, their teacher, their friend, their Lord, their savior Jesus, who they followed for years, says, I'm going to go away. And shockingly, he says, this will be for your benefit. Let's follow the rest of the verse. Because if I don't go away... The counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. All right, so Jesus acknowledges that he's going to go away, but he will send another counselor, another helper. He will not leave us alone. John 14, he will not leave us as orphans. He says that he will send us the Holy Spirit of God that the Spirit of God would be received by and live within all those who have put their trust in the finished work of Jesus. I was thinking this as Dylan was getting baptized, that it is all believers at all places at all time. Dylan doesn't have Holy Spirit Junior, like Dylan has the Holy Spirit, just like the oldest saint in this room has the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit in us that gives us life, as Paul says in this classic if-then statement in Romans eight eleven. that if the Spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So to summarize this, in the words of J.D. Greer, Jesus is saying that the counselor, the Holy Spirit in you, Christian, is better. It is of benefit to you. It is a greater benefit to you than having Jesus physically beside you. It is for the benefit of his disciples that he goes so that he can be with them always by his Spirit. And now that begs the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? And there is a long answer for that, and I'm sure many of you have different answers to, to that based on perhaps your upbringing or experience in church or non-experience in church where you're like, what the heck does that even mean? But I just want to answer this question with the words of Jesus. Jesus just a few moments later in John 16:14 where Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you What's the Holy Spirit do? Here it is. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. No takers, that's for you. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. All right, wah, wah, wah. fancy church word alert, okay? So we're gonna deal with that. What does that mean that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus? I did a little bit of musical theater in school. Some of you are like, that's not surprising. Um, I was Nathan Detroit and Guys and Dolls. Musical theater folk, you're my my people. Um, And there were moments in the show where you would see a bunch of stuff happening on the stage. Multiple characters were interacting with one another, but the tech team in the back would bring the lights down and there would be a single kind of spotlight that was fixated on one or two characters and it was intended to communicate that what was happening where the light was illuminating, what was happening in that one place actually was more important and needed to be more paid attention to than anything else that was happening on the stage. And this is precisely what the Holy Spirit does in glorifying Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus is much like that. The Spirit of God shines a spotlight on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is lifted up in importance. He is illuminated. The Spirit of God draws our attention to him. He glorifies Jesus by taking what is Christ and declaring it, making it known to you, including, hear this, Christ's presence. So let me sum this up for you in a sentence. The Spirit of God in you is the presence of Christ with you and the power to glorify Christ through you. The Spirit of God in you is the presence of Christ with you and the power to glorify Christ through you. In another way, the Spirit of God is the empowering presence of Christ. He is with us in a fuller way than we could possibly imagine because he is not simply next to us, but by his Spirit, Christ is truly with us always. It is in this withness that the Spirit of God glorifies Christ in us and through us, puts a spotlight on Christ in us and through us. And he does this in at least four ways. Four ways. Formation, filling, fruit, and fulfill. That's for free, right? Okay, four Fs. Um, formation, filling, fruit, fulfill. So first, formation. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. It'll be on the screen. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. This picture of adoption is incredibly powerful as it relates to the way that the Spirit of God forms us into the children of God that we become when we put our trust in Jesus. Let me say that again. That the Spirit of God forms us into the children of God that we become when we put our trust in Jesus. That might sound a little bit confusing if you aren't acquainted with the process of adoption. The process of adoption does not end when the paperwork is finalized. Some of you in this room are intensely acquainted with the realities of adoption. Others aren't, so let me get into this. If and when you are adopted into a family, the legal paperwork is signed and it is official, legally true, that you are adopted. It's done. That is sealed, finished, kaput. It's over. Legally, that's true. The rest of the adoption process is every vital moment after that where you are learning how to be a part of this new family. You go from orphan to adopted, and then you begin to learn how to live as a member of your new family, as a carrier of this new name. You start to learn how this family acts. How do they love? How do they serve? How do they suffer? How do they speak? How do they care for one another? How do they show compassion? You spend your first of every night in that house. You spend your first night in that house and you don't know the answers to those questions yet. You're adopted. Nothing will change that because it's legally true. And now you are vitally being formed into becoming a part of that family. That's the formative role of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He teaches us how to know God as Father and know Jesus as our older brother, how to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as a part of that same family well, how to look at those who do not know Jesus and long for them to be a part of the family of God. He teaches us how to be a child. He teaches us how to suffer with Christ so that we might be glorified with him. The Spirit of God forms and matures the people of God more fully into the children of God that you already are, Christian. All of this so that Christ might be glorified through you. That as you transform and change and you become more like Jesus, the, 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 the begotten Son of God, it is the work of the Spirit shaping and forming you so that your life, who you are and how you are, points to spotlights and glorifies Jesus Christ. So the Spirit forms and the Spirit fills. There's this interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 5 that speaks to the idea of being filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. If you dig into the language here, what's being said is, hey, be being filled by the Spirit. It's this idea of a continual filling, that you should orient our lives for the Spirit of God to fill us so that what constantly comes out of us points to and glorifies Christ. Simultaneously, it's a warning that we can run to things and fill ourselves with things that are not going to glorify Jesus, that are ultimately contramission as it relates to the Great Commission. So let's just deal with the text. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. You can look to wine, you can look to alcohol for what only the Holy Spirit can offer. That drunkenness is a loss of the sobriety of the mind. You numb yourself so you don't have to feel anything. That rather than bringing your feelings and experiences to the Spirit of God or to others who have the Spirit of God, you run to the drink. We fill ourselves with it to escape what is around us. He says that, that leads to reckless living. Alcohol is the clear example here, but what if you don't drink? Or what if drunkenness isn't where you lose your sobriety? What if substance abuse isn't where you lose your sobriety? I would be willing to bet that there is something in your life that you are tempted to run to and be filled by. Perhaps you run to and attempt to be filled by greed. You always need the next thing, the next piece of clothing, that next whatever it is filled with lust, pornography, sexual sin, filled with anger, filled with lying or over-exaggeration to look better than you actually are, filled with pride. Perhaps you're filled with a political party or a particular stance. But you've been filled with what abouting the murder of 13 men and women who were made in the image of God that died in Buffalo last week. Perhaps you're filled with a hunger for upward mobility to escape the life you have now. Perhaps you are filled with TV and media content to numb yourselves to the reality of life around you. Docs, I'll go first. That's me. What do you run to to be filled by? What do you, in a sense, get drunk on? What do you fill yourself with that is not the spirit of God? You can audit this in your life by finishing this sentence. I need more blank. I need more power. I need more comfort. I need more control. I need more pleasure. What if instead we were orienting our lives around being filled by the Spirit instead of these other things? That the Spirit had more real estate in our lives and minds so that what comes out of us glorifies Jesus. Can I give you just a Short practice for this that you could bring into your daily life, a minimum viable practice. It is short, simple, and if you miss one day, you won't miss two. I call it a fresh 15, or you call it a filled 15 if you really wanna like put it on brand, but whatever. Um, Call it a fresh 15, and it's, it's this. It's just, I pick a moment in my day, and if you have like a daily devotion, move this into like later in your day, whatever it is. I pick moment or moments in my day where I just take 15 minutes, and I'm gonna spend five minutes in scripture, five minutes in prayer, and five minutes in worship. That's it. It's the simple, like, just this simple, broke-down practice. Spouses help one another out to make the time to do that. Connection groups help one another out to make the time to do that. And as you begin this time, you ask the Holy Spirit of God to fill you as you set aside time to be in Scripture, in prayer, in worship. I just, what if you did that every day through June and July, Like, what if you did that every day through June and July? What if you dedicated this summer to saying, I'm going to have a fresh 15 every day where I just want to set aside time to be filled with the scripture, to pray, to be in worship, to be filled by the Spirit? I think it would be a means by which God changed your life internally and also caused you to look externally at people who are around you. As we're filled and are being filled by the Spirit of God, we're being formed by the Spirit in such a way that Christ might be more glorified through us, which begs this question, as we are formed and filled by the Spirit, how does it change us? <laughs> what does that kind of look like? Well, as we get to the third F, which is fruit. Galatians 5, through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. As we are formed and filled by the Spirit of God, we begin to bear this fruit or to navigate kind of a contextualized agricultural metaphor. We begin to produce in accord to what has been planted in us. Think of it like this, Doc said, I've never walked by a tree and heard it (laughs) groan. Like I've never walked by a tree and heard it going, oh, like it's trying to like produce something that it's it's not. Apple trees produce apples. It, it, It produces a fruit because what it is is shaped by what it does. As we've been filled by and formed by the Spirit, it is the fruit, this fruit is what the Spirit produces in us and through our lives to glorify Christ. What we are, men and women in Christ, who are formed by and filled by the Spirit, shapes what we do, which is seen in this category, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a collective singular. Each of these aspects of the fruit are seen together because it is collectively the attitude and character of Christ himself which is matured and made known in and through your life by the Spirit of God, filled with and formed by the Spirit that glorifies Christ. What comes out of us is the character of Christ himself. The Spirit of God cultivates this character of Christ within you. It means that as you mature in Christ, as you study Scripture, as you grow as a disciple of Jesus, as you follow the way of Jesus, you're being formed by the Spirit. And the Spirit glorifies Christ in you as He is forming these attributes within you. So that when the pressure is on, when circumstances are not ideal, when everything falls apart, what comes out of us is this fruit of the Spirit. What is cultivated in us comes out When circumstances crush us, they squeeze us. This fruit we are filled by forms the way that we interact with one another so that as we love one another, we prove in the words of Jesus to be his disciples. That as we love one another, as we're patient with one another, as we take joy in one another, as we're at peace with one another, as we are patient with one another, as we're kind to one another, as we show goodness to one another, faithfulness to the gospel within one another, gentleness to one another, self-control in relation to our lives, Christ is publicly glorified in us. This plays right into the Great Commission because it creates an integrity to the way that we make disciples. We become more like Jesus and we make disciples who become more like Jesus. Yo, you can teach what you've heard, but you will reproduce who you are. So as the spirit of God shapes who you are and how you are, you'll be able to help others love and follow the way of Jesus as you make disciples, to echo Paul, so that you can say with integrity, follow me as I follow Christ. This fruit is born in your life. Check it at the end of this. It says, against these things, there is no law. Another way of saying this kind of in the positive is that by these things, by this fruit, by this character cultivated by the Spirit of God, we glorify Christ. We are formed, filled, there's fruit, and then finally there's a fulfillment. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are empowered by the Spirit as witnesses of Jesus so he can fulfill that great commission through us. I love this because it absolutely crushes the idea of performance and replaces it with the centrality of presence. Consider this. Basically, every time that Jesus talks to his disciples that we have recorded and he says, hey, he says at the end of his great commission, he says, wait for me, wait for the Spirit, wait for the Spirit, wait for the Spirit, wait for the Spirit. Spirit." Like, why Why does he do that? (laughs) He does that for at least one reason. So that they would know that they were not fulfilling the great commission on their own for Jesus, but rather that Jesus by his spirit was fulfilling this great commission through them. That as Christ fulfills the great commission through us by his spirit, he is glorified through us by his spirit that is in us. Jesus sets this pace from the beginning that the mission of God could not be separated from the spirit of God. Just so you know, in the words of Jesus in John 15, you can do nothing apart from him, including fulfill and obey the great commission. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit obliterates at least four lies that we are prone to believe as it relates to the Great Commission, as it relates to sharing the gospel and making disciples. Four lies that may honestly be living in this room. Lie number one that you might have is that you might look at yourself and say, I actually don't think I have what it takes to share the gospel to make disciples. I've got news for you. On your own, you don't but you're not on your own, Christian. You have the empowering presence of God dwelling within you. You have the Holy Spirit. This is the witness of Jesus shaping the way that you move on mission. Romans 8, 11, again, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. First Corinthians chapter 12, the spirit of God has given you gifts for the purpose of uniquely expressing and proclaiming the gospel where you are. We need your gift and you need the gift of the person next to you. If you're afraid, join in the prayer of the early church who was also afraid. In Acts chapter four, where they prayed, now Lord, consider their threats and enable, empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness. On your own, you don't have what it takes, but I've got great news. You're not on your own. You have the Holy Spirit of God. Lie number two, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13 says, and since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. You're going to want to write this down. If you know enough to believe, Christian, you know enough to speak. If you know enough to believe, you know enough to speak. Gospel fluency is a skill that is developed over time and training, but don't let a perception of your own education be an excuse for disobedience. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience anyways. So if we know enough to believe, let's speak. I love this. Jesus says to his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John fourteen twenty six that the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance what I have said to you. Let the Spirit of God teach you as you lean into the Scripture. You read what Jesus has said. You bring that into your life, and he illuminates the text in and through you, and he will bring those things to remembrance. If you know enough to believe, you know enough to speak. Lie number three, I don't have time. I love this one um, because my sharp answer is to say that you don't need time. I think an easy line here, an easy line that I could throw at you would be like, if you're too busy to share the gospel, you're too busy. That's true. (laughs) But let me take a different tack. You don't need more time. What you need is missional agility with the time and in the places that you are. Here's what I mean Matthew chapter 28, you go back to it, it says, go and make disciples. It's been mentioned before, but a different way of understanding this in the original language is that as you are going, make disciples. That as you are going, make disciples in the everyday stuff of life, just to keep your head on a swivel as you're going throughout your day, to pay attention to the people that God places around you, pay attention to what they say, pay attention to how you feel even when they're speaking. What if while someone is speaking with you, just in the everyday side-by-side corner conversations of life, the Spirit of God is prompting you to share and to speak with them as you're going out and about on your day, that there's someone you're talking with and something comes to mind to share with them. They say something and a verse comes to mind, a word of comfort or encouragement, an open door to share the gospel, an opportunity for an invitation to church. Yes, there are set aside times where we are making disciples, but those aren't the only times, Doc said. It happens while we're going. I saw this Tuesday um, I was trying out for an ultimate team that I'm almost for sure not going to get on, um, and I was talking with a guy that was uh, was playing with uh, after our scrimmage. Kind of, he's sharing some of his life. I'm sharing some of mine, I'm talking about Doxa, talking about the church, um, and Jen, uh, who's a member here, recognizes me. We all chat for a second, and she looks at them, and she says, hey, you should come to Doxa. Like, just We didn't like build up this like crazy moment of like, okay, we got to make sure like that everything's like perfect and right. No, she's just, as she's going, as we're going, she's like, you should come to church with me, right? It's, It's literally just such a simple moment. As she was going, a simple invitation to church, just a link in the chain. It's missional agility. Any conversation at any point in time is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to glorify Christ through you. You don't have time, that's okay. You don't need it. Lie number four. I hate this one. Lie number four is that I don't think God could move through me. That you take the activity of sharing the gospel and you go all the way back to your identity as to who you are and you say, why would he use me? I think there's so much that's been lost to this lie, Doxa. We punish ourselves for things in our past that Jesus has already forgiven us of. And instead of empowering presence, we are marked by enduring punishment for something you've done in your past or something you experience experienced presently that may or may not even be sin, that you have decided disqualifies you from being a part of making disciples. So can I, I've been teaching a lot. Can I preach for just like three minutes? Like, can I just do that? Is that okay? Okay, can I just come against that with like everything that I've got, Doxa? God can still move through you, Christian. Let me prove it in the Bible. You see, Abraham was too old and God still moved through him. Hagar was unjustly put out of the camp and sent off to die and God still moved through her. Isaac was a daydreamer and God still moved through him. Jacob was a liar and God still moved through him. Uh, Leah was the unwanted wife and God still moved through her. Joseph was abused and God still moved through him. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer and God still moved through him. Deborah was doubted in her leadership and God still moved through her. Gideon was a coward and God still moved through him. Samson had a temper and God still moved through him. Rahab was a sex worker and God still moved through her. Jeremiah was depressed, and God still moved through him. Elijah experienced suicidal ideation, and God still moved through him. Isaiah was unjustly imprisoned, and God still moved through him. Jonah didn't even want the people of Assyria to repent and believe, and God still moved through him. Naomi was a widow, and God still moved through her. Ruth had nothing, and God still worked through her. Job was bankrupt and lost everything, and God still moved through him. John the Baptist experienced houselessness, and God still moved through him. Peter denied Christ and God still moved through him. The disciples fell asleep while Jesus was suffering for them and God still moved through them. Martha was worried and God still moved through her. Zacchaeus was too small and a tax collector and God still moved through him. The Samaritan woman was divorced and God still moved through her. Paul hated the church and God still moved through him. Mary Magdalene was demon possessed and God still moved through her. Timothy had many health problems, and God still moved through him. Lazarus was dead, and God still moved through him. (laughs) Doc said, these people were not perfect, but their lowest moment was not their defining moment your lowest moment does not have to be your defining moment Christian because you have been filled with the spirit of God the work of Jesus Christ the balm of Gilead has been applied to every wound and sin and he has healed them all in your life he has taken what was once meant for shame and he turns it to glory he actually can redeem and restore anybody any point any time because he really did die he really did sorry live he really did die he really did rise again so he is presently alive and by his spirit he's with you always by his spirit he's still forming you by his spirit he's still filling you by his spirit he's bearing fruit in you by his spirit he can still fulfill the great commission through you so the presence of christ by the spirit of god empowers you to glorify jesus with your life all of it the sin you needed to repent of has been redeemed What was ruined by shame has been restored to glory. The Spirit of God forms, fills, bears fruit, and fulfills the great commission in and through broken vessels, broken pots, broken people, because it's all that he has to work with. So Christian, please remember the Spirit of God in you is the presence of Christ with you and the power to glorify Christ through you because he is with you always. He is empowering you always. So speaking of Jesus... (laughs) I want to return to something I said earlier. Jesus said that he's with us always by his spirit. His spirit is the empowering presence of Christ to fulfill the great commission through us. But what, I just wonder if you thought about this, what is Jesus doing right now? (laughs) Where is Jesus and what is he doing right now? The Old and New Testaments both testify over and over that Jesus, the glorified Savior of the world, is sitting at the right hand of God. He is in eternity with God the Father. But what what is he doing there? Hebrews 7.25 clues us in that consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them that at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. He's praying for you and me. He's standing the gap for you and me right now. Uh, Dane Ortland says it like this, Jesus is applying the salvation to us moment by moment that he accomplished once and for all. Christian, the intercessory work of Jesus should give us incredible assurance. This goes back to what Rob said at Easter. Can a Christian lose their salvation? That's not the question. The question is, can Christ lose a Christian? Christ has accomplished and acts as an intercessor in eternity on our behalf, applying to us moment by moment what he has accomplished for us through the cross and the empty tomb at the right hand of God so that we might be assured. Doc, so we are saved who are in Christ to the uttermost, fully, completely, holy. so As you are empowered by the Spirit, it is not to perform, it is not to earn, it is not to repay because you cannot perform and you cannot earn and you cannot repay. It means there will be moments where you will fail to glorify Christ. There will be moments where you will fall short in formation and filling and fruit and in fulfillment. And in that moment, Right after that moment, right before that moment, Christ was interceding on your behalf. You're just as saved and you're just as assured and you're just as his in that moment. He's the one who's upholding your salvation, not you, not your work. He is with us and he is interceding for us. So as we remember what Christ has done and is doing, we are empowered freely by the spirit of God to respond, not to earn, not to pay back, not to perform, but to respond. It is by the Spirit of God that you live in response to what Christ has done. So Christian, there's nothing more for you to earn or prove. You're empowered by the Spirit of God to mature and to be on mission so that others might come to know the assurance and everlasting life that you have in Jesus Christ. You are empowered by the Spirit to be a disciple. And as you are being a disciple, you are empowered by the Spirit to make disciples. And in this, Christ is glorified in you. So I want to give us a moment here just to reflect. If you want to do this just for focus and concentration, you can close your eyes, bow your heads just if you want. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, nothing like that. I just want to give you a moment here in just the quiet to just pause and respond. You don't have to do that. You can look at me. I don't care. I'm just trying to give you space. Two questions for two groups of people. First, for the Christian, I want you to imagine what would you be like? Who would you be if you walked in perfect formation, perfectly filled by the Spirit, exhibited perfect fruit, and that Christ was fulfilling the great commission through you as you were obedient to to him perfectly? Who would that person be? What would that person be like? I just want you to imagine that how would they move who would they be and then i just want you to consider between where you are now and where that person is what is your next step in becoming that person and i just want you to turn it into a prayer and say holy spirit help me holy spirit help me holy spirit help me to take that next step holy spirit help me to walk in you holy spirit help me To be formed so that I might glorify Christ. To be filled so I might glorify Christ. To bear fruit so that I might glorify Christ. To fulfill this great commission so that I might glorify Christ. You might just need to say, Holy Spirit, help. Second, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, um, the band's coming up and we're going to sing. You will hear men and women around you sing. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God will empower them with one voice to proclaim the good news of Jesus in song. To put a spotlight, not on the stage and not on a vocalist, not on an instrumentalist, not on the person behind you that has that really good voice, but on Jesus. That as we sing, the Holy Spirit will spotlight, glorify and turn our attention to Jesus. So if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, you have to answer this question, how will you respond? What will you do with who Christ is and what he has done? You need to know you've got two choices. You can deny him and discard him, or you can turn to him and come home to him. Jesus Christ has made a way for all people of all nations, for every sinner to be saved, for every person that was in darkness to become a disciple, for all who were far to become friends for the orphan to become a child, for the lost to be found, for the dead to be made alive. So Jesus, in this space, would you help us? Help us to glorify you. Help us to glorify you by becoming more like you, by being filled and being, being filled by your spirit, by bearing fruit, by fulfilling this great commission, that you would do that through us as you're with us. Help us to pay attention, help us to be obedient, May we know the voice of our shepherd and we follow it. Now, for those who are here that don't know you, I pray that you would rescue and that you would save Jesus. They would turn and they would come home. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's respond in that way.